Oh, we're we're live. All right. Well, welcome to Wednesday Night Live. This is I am Mark Burke. I'm kind of I'm I'm in a mode here, so I'm going to pass this over to uh, Barry Bonds. Oh, Barry Carter. Excuse me. Give you just a few moments um, while you get the handouts there. Before we came on air, I was just talking about some of the things that uh, you might be facing that are um, might be a challenge or some type of an obstacle, but not to focus on the opposition. Focus on the outcome is another way of saying it, because God. Is with all of us. And and sometimes he allows things to happen. I mean, we don't have the answers to some of the some of the some of the reasons why things happen. But we have to trust no matter what we're going through and no matter what we're facing, that our Father knows best. He really does. I know, I know when we're faced with, and I might be preaching way out few months down the road here but he really does know exactly what he's doing in us and among us and throughout this network and throughout the world he is the master architect and designer of this eternal uh, schematic he's got it all under control we don't need to be worried about and concerned about the things that's his job. We need to focus on interceding and letting his spirit pray and supplicate in us because when we are in him, when we are truly, our spirit is in him, prosyukamai prayer and deasis, is done in his spirit, his pneuma. That's just who God is. So every time, and, and I, I'm saying this to myself, to know how valuable his, oh, his deposit of his breath within us is. When your spirit begins to intercede, you need to begin to tell yourself in your mind, I'm partnering with God's breath in this moment. It's in me, and it's coming alive. And somehow just thinking that way goes, it, it realigns my mind to go, you know what, this is valuable. This is so important that God has said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cause this to begin to churn and move in you and, and allow you to partner with me in it because it's my spirit within you. That's incredible. That that once that those few sentences there, we could stop here, and that would be great for this evening, wouldn't it? There's no greater feeling, no greater feeling, than to have His Spirit breathing inside of us in the way that I just tried to describe it. Nothing in this earth is going to bring that type of satisfaction and fulfillment. Nothing. Money will not do it. Job status, I don't care. You can go, we can name everything in this world. It does not compare to that feeling of having His Spirit in you in that way. 
and feeling it and partnering with it. That's what we're doing with him as intercessors. Maybe you haven't thought, thought of it quite the way I described it, but it is so amazing. And we, I know your heart is, is like mine. You are so grateful for being able to feel his spirit in that way. Because there are so many people. This is not derogatory or judgmental. There are so many people in churches all over this area here and all over the world that do not have that activated in their spirit. They, it's foreign to them. And it's not that we're any better than any other person on this planet. We're not. The enemy might say that and try to get people to think that, but it, God has this, this earnest of His Spirit in every person. Every man has been dealt this, this grace that's inside them. It's there. Every man on this planet, every woman, it's there. Is it active? Maybe in some way, you know, you, you, can, you can find out where someone is really at spiritually by just talking to them and listening. I mean, I know people, they, and, and I know you as well, they, want, they, they love talking about being saved. That's great. But what, do you, what, what else is going on after, you, after you're saved? What's he doing in you now? Is, is that all? And God knows what I'm saying here. Is that all there really is to this walk is saved? I mean, I read things in here, and I'm going to share some things tonight that um, we've read. I've read it, but it's the, 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 the Spirit of God has put a, a fresh perspective in my spirit about what we're going to share. And I know... You want to talk about things that grieve him? And, and it's, a, it's a perfect type of grief. We can't associate it. Some of the things that we've been participants of, I mean, the perfect love of God. Sometimes I have no words to describe <laughs> how incredible having the agape just coursing through our spirit and in our mind and affecting our body I don't have words to describe it sometimes and so when we talk about grieving it's it's a totally different type of there's no imperfection in a in a holy grief or a or a holy hatred those are terms that are that we're going to look at and God views things his eyes they are always looking all throughout the earth. Just that, that insight there is so deep. How can God do that? Well, I don't know, but he does. Because his eyes are finding people all over the world. You see? You see him at work? How does that happen? I don't know. That's his job. I just know he's doing it. How did he find these people in Brazil? How did he get us all connected? I mean, yeah, he used technology, but it's just mind-boggling when you think about how God's doing the things he's doing and what he's put inside us and how we are messengers 
of what he's put inside us to those around us. Every day we have an opportunity to speak life into people. Every day. I walked past a guy today. I was at um, a building, City Place building, right there off of uh, uh, 75. He's a valet parking area, and I was going in to see a customer. He's leaned up on his thing here, and uh, I just walked by, and I stopped. I smiled. I felt, I felt my spirit come alive, and, and I felt a brightness on the inside of me, and it just came out through my smile to this guy. And I just and I smiled real big. I said, hey, how you doing? We, just normal conversation, mind you. Nothing spiritual, but I felt something of the Lord's spirit within me rise up, and so I just start to speak words. So it's not always where you're out there just, you, you never know a word that's released from your spirit over or into a person, what, what it can do, right? You just, you just never know. So this evening, we're going to look at this, I've got the title there about, and I know this kind of sounds, sounds bizarre, but this is just kind of where where I felt led to go about in Revelation 2 this phrase seducing my servants has kept coming up in things that I've been been doing and reading and, and I know that this is something that we need to look at and I know these are things that God looks at and, and, and we, we look at the context of this he knows what's going on in his ecclesia and he wants to pinpoint, I'm not saying this is us. It could be, but it's like this is an empowering word for us to go, you know what, this is something that the enemy's trying to do, and we need to guard against it. And we need to be able to, at any given moment, be ready. I mean, we, we're, we've already took stands. We've already done this. But as we progress forward, and as, as, as the message of the saints and what God's doing in this hour begins to become more mainstream, these types of influences are really going to increase. And our standing still needs to be we stand and we don't allow certain things to be taught and we definitely don't, don't want things that are seductive coming in and seductive, not in a sin, not in a sexual nature, but just the pulling away and drawing you away or drawing individuals away. And so let's let's look at this. Now, what I did initially was the passage in Revelation two was the one that I've really been been studying. But last night I started looking up in the Old Testament um, the word seduce and seduced, and there are some really really interesting. Uh, passages, and I didn't list all of those there, but I, I want us to look at 2 Kings chapter 21. But before we get into that, the two terms that we're going to focus on is the Hebrew term ta'ah, and it means to vacillate or to to, to stray. Um, another way, uh, to vacillate means to, to, to fluctuate um, in one's beliefs or or to be really indecisive is another way of saying it. And then um, in the New Testament, there's been teaching on this in the past, but we're going to look at this passage where it uses uh, planeo, and it just means to 
to cause someone to roam away from safety, truth, or virtue. And, and we know that the enemy, he doesn't want people coming to a knowledge of the truth, the aletheia. He doesn't want that. And he's going to fight that every way that he can. We have the truth that brings absolute freedom to people. So we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 21 in verses 1 through 9. And this involves Manasseh. And I've, and I've titled this, this section here, Manasseh's seductive influence on the people of God. Now, uh, Ruby came in earlier, and, and this this is my this was actually blank, didn't have any writing on it when I came in. So after about 30 minutes, this is what it looked like. <laughs> so I'll do my best to decipher my notes here. If I need an interpreter, I may, I may ask Barry if he'll come up and help me out. 2 Kings 21, verses 1 through 9. Manasseh, and it's interesting about Manasseh's name. I put the meaning, causing to forget, neglect, remit, or to remove. That's what Manasseh's name means. And as we go through this, you'll see how he was used in a way to cause the people of God to forget the things that were, were very important and that God had laid out for them to do. Um, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. That's pretty amazing. You know, I don't know what, about you, but when I was 12 years old, that's the last thing I would want to be doing is being a uh, reigning over a people in, in, in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hifzpah. And her name means, my delight is in her. So it's interesting how he starts off talking about Manasseh's name, and then he starts to link it to uh, his, his, his heritage. His mother's name means delight, and we'll see here in just a second what his father's name means. And it says, And he did that which was evil, or raw, in the sight of Yahweh, after the abominations of the heathen whom Yahweh had cast out before the children of Israel. And now we start in verse 3, we start to see what he starts to, to build. For he built, Bana again, the high places which Hezekiah, Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. So I, I was reading through this again uh, this afternoon, and I thought, this is really interesting. We've got the, the name of Manasseh, and then God starts to show his heritage his family heritage, and say his mom is represents that my delight is in her. His father was someone that absolutely destroyed the high places, those elevated points of, that were used for sacrifice and all those kind of things. But here you've got the son that's being influenced to do just the opposite. And he starts to build things. And it says specifically he starts to... He reared up altars for Baal. Now, I'm not going to go through all of these. Uh, he made a grove, as did Ahab, king of Israel. And he shakad, or worshipped, all the hosts of heaven, and he served them. So here you've got an individual that's under the influence of a raw spirit, of a raw type of a, you know, the scripture talks about it, a raw spirit. And he's doing things that are twisted. His mother, obviously, based on her name, 
was someone that there was great delight that was inside of her. His father had actually showed him what he should have been doing, right? His father destroyed, absolutely annihilated the high places. But then what was it that caused Manasseh? Now, I'm not going to do an exhaustive. It's just the influence of the enemy, how he's trying to stop the, the forward progression of the people of God at this point. And so what are we supposed to be building? What is God building in us and throughout this, this, this world? What is, he, what is he raising up? Well, he's raising up a lot of things, right? He's raising up the tabernacle of David. He's, he's wanting us to build up ourselves. How? By praying in the Spirit in the most saintly faith. Um, so there's a lot of language that's really similar about building and constructing and raising up. And, and God is doing the same thing. It's just in a godly manner. And why am I saying all of this? Well, the enemy, is he's trying to build as well. He is. We need to know the strategies of the enemy, right? We do not need to be ignorant of them. And that doesn't mean we focus on it, but, I mean, you, you, there's a fine line. And we're, we're, this is leading up to the, the seduction part. So let me keep reading. In case that wasn't bad enough, it says in verse 5, he built altars for all of the hosts of the heaven, all of hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of Yahweh. I mean, he's doing some detestable things. He made his son to pass through the fire. He observed times. He used enchantments. He dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. He wrought much raw in the sight of Yahweh. Why is this phrase, the sight of Yahweh, why does it keep reappearing? Well, in just a few minutes in Revelation... There's a phrase that God, that's being spoken over and over again. I know your works. I know this. I know. Sometimes the enemy will try to get people to think, even, even, even saints, to get us to think, well, you know, God really doesn't know where I'm at or what I'm facing. Now, you may never voice that. I have. I'll be the first to raise my hand. I've voiced that. But... God knows everything that's going on. Verse 7. No, excuse me. Verse. He wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord, Yahweh, to provoke him to anger. See, now you've got, you've got the righteous anger of the Lord involved. And then verse 7, it says, He set a graven image of the grove that he made in the house, of which Yahweh said to David, and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel will I put my name forever. Neither will I make the feet of Israel move any more out of the land which I gave their fathers, only if, here's the conditional term, if they will observe, which is shamar, to do according to all that I have commanded them. So here, let's let's. I know I know that's a lot there. Let's back up just a minute. So it starts off here, and we've got Manasseh. His main objective. Now, was he called to be someone that would cause people to forget 
who they are and what God said. That was not God's calling from Manasseh. Right? I mean, I, I know that that's what happens here. But it's really a picture of how the enemy will try to bring influences into our lives in a lot of different ways to cause us to forget who we are in the Lord and what He's doing in our midst. And we have to guard against that, every single one of us. And I believe the names of the father and the mother being here indicate a lot of, a lot of things, but one of them that stands out to me is we need to know that the heritage of the Lord, there have been people that have gone before us, even before, you know what I'm saying, the heritage. We need to remember is delightsome. And we need to know that God takes great delight when we partner with Him and, he, and we do what we're called to do in this earth, the way He sees it and the way he's designed it, and the way he's architected it all. He takes great delight in that. And the mom represents delight. The father represents someone that says, you know what? I'm tearing it all down. I'm tearing, it, it kind of, <laughs> I'm tearing down the high places. I'm, and it says he destroyed them. But yet, Manasseh chose to go another way. Interesting, isn't it? You would think in that type of a heritage that the son, which was a Manasseh, would, you know, go, man, this is awesome. I need to, I need to remember uh, 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 my mom's name represents delight. And I need to remember that I don't need to raise up things that are, that are ungodly or high places. I need to, you would think that that would resonate inside him, right? I'm sure it did. But this just really shows you how sophisticated, demonically, the enemy is and his forces. And how furious they are and how they want to try to stop the heritage of the Lord. I know it's different here in the Old Testament, but you're with me. The, uh, the identity of the people of God and them really recognizing who they are in the Lord. It's born again. But it's much more than that. It's sonship. And we're going to see in just a minute how that starts, Revelation chapter 2. But let's keep reading. There's so much more that I could say here, but I think I've said enough. Let's keep reading, and then we'll go to Revelation 2. Now, let's look at verse 8. I can't skip over this. These are promises that, God, that he was saying, I'm going to make the feet of Israel move, move any more out of the land which I gave their fathers if they will guard over and if they will protect and they will attend to the things that I commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses, God knows every one of us. He's mentioning Moses and saying, he, my servant. God remembers and God knows exactly every one of us. You guys look at me. I feel something very, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be, there is something to this. We need to get this deep within us. God, when he, he says he knows your name, 
He knows it. And it's not just Nancy. It's not just Les. It is that. But it's much deeper than that. I know your identity. It's in you. I see it. That's what I'm looking at within us. His eyes. Boy, they are laser. I mean, when his eyes hit your spirit, you, you felt this. You know what this feels like. His eyes, his seven spirits, when grace from his eyes hits you, there's an elevation that begins to happen in your spirit, right? I mean, you start to soar. That's his eyes. So we know his eyes, he's, he's looking for hearts and people that are contrite. He overlooks, he overlooks pride. If he comes over here and he sees, now he can visit, don't get me wrong. But he is not. He will scan over people that are full of themselves and full of pride, and he'll go after that person that is contrite. And only he can see that contrition. When he sees that, he's going to visit that person. That's what the Scripture says, right? That's amazing to me. Everything we've had in the Lord, everything, is because he's seen something in us, and he's, he's recognized we've responded even though he knew we were going to mess up three weeks later, he still sees beyond that. He doesn't look and go, oh, Monica, I would do this to you tonight, but you know what? In two weeks now, you're going to be a mess. He doesn't think that way. The agape, one of the characteristics of agape is he thinks no evil. That's a characteristic in 1 Corinthians 13. He thinks nothing with kakos. He does, and kakos is something... That Kakia, or whatever, yeah, you, you know what I'm saying. But it also means it. he doesn't look at something and try to devalue it or say it's worthless. That's another definition of kakos. It kinda, it's kind of worthless looking and feeling, and he doesn't think that way. So it goes back to what I'm saying. I, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to... Yes, we are. We're going to get there. There's just so much here, and there's so much that just keeps coming in that it's hard sometimes to, to manage the flow of all of it. But God really does know every one of you in such an, an intimate way. And he takes great delight when you sacrifice and you give up something that, that he knows you love already to go after him or to spend time with him. You think he's going to look you over? No way. He doesn't think that way. When he sees you making steps to go, you know what? I'm not going to raise up that altar to Baal. I'm not going to go and worship at that high place over here where everybody else is, and they're allowing uh, Jezebel-like influences to come in and, and teach and seduce my servants. And, and, and he recognizes that. I mean, he's the one that said this about to, to John. So when we are in the Spirit on the Lord's day, like John, this happened when I was just over here studying this afternoon. I, got, I have to say this. When we are in his breath, one of the first things he started to share with John, he started speaking about the ecclesia. The seven ecclesias. 
to the church, the ecclesia of, of Smyrna, to the ecclesia of Thyatira. It says it. He's in the spirit, and he hears a voice, and that voice starts talking about the ecclesia. Has he focused? We have a message for the ecclesia. He's preparing us for something that is grand. I don't know what it's going to look like. <laughs> I definitely don't know what it's going to feel like. <laughs> but if, if what I feel now just is an inkling of, of, of what's coming, it is beyond anything I can put words to. And it should be. Because remember, he's architecting all of this. And let that resonate inside your spirit about when you are in, in the spirit with him on the Lord's day. And that can be any, any day of the week, any moment of time, day or night. He's going to start to communicate things to us about his ecclesia in different places. And I know there's some other things here, but that, that is so powerful. In verse 9, but they hearken not. The people of God chose not to Shema, hear and obey, and Manasseh, the one that's causing people to forget, neglect, and doing all kinds of other things, seduced them to do more Ra than did the nations whom Yahweh destroyed before the children of Israel. The influence of a Manasseh can devastate the people of God if we are not careful. And that's just the way it is. But, again, it's about perspective here. If, if the enemy is trying to infiltrate the church, and we know he is, in the end times, we can't stop that. It's going to happen. It is happening. But what we can stop is we can draw the line and say, you know what, you're not coming in here you're not teaching this, you're not coming here, and you're not, you're not seducing any of the servants of the Lord in this place or in this network. We must stand. Stand firm. And not vacillate back and forth. And I, and I know we want, I know our leader is that way. He's not going to back down. He's going to stand firm on what the Lord's commanded all of us to do. Revelation 2. This, this entails, and I've just titled this, False Prophetic Teaching and Seducing. Verse 18. And under the angel of the church, the ecclesia, in Thyatira write, These things saith who? The Son of of God, that designation, sonship, who has his eyes like unto a flame of fire and his feet unto like fine brass. Verse 19, I know your works and your agape and service and faith or pistis and your patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee and this phrase comes up two different times. If you go back and read Revelation 2, I have a few things against you comes up with two um, ecclesias, Pergamos and Thyatira. 
I'm not saying this is us. I'm not saying this is us at all. I'm just, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> Notwithstanding, I have a few things against you because you sufferest that woman Jezebel, or suffering there means to permit something to happen or just kind of leave it alone, who calls herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants. And so that phrase, who's speaking here? Thus saith the Son of God. It's connected to sonship. And he says, I know these things. He said, I know all of this. I know what you're doing. I see your service. I see this. But I also see something else. I see this going on. This is where we stand together as a people, as a church, as an ecclesia, and as a network. We cannot allow influences like this, nor Manasseh, to come in and teach and bring seduction in a way that draws people away. Now, I know in this context, I, I am making practical applications here. I know what it's going to say about committing fornication. Fornication has varied meanings throughout Scripture. It doesn't just mean somebody's sleeping with somebody else. It means some people are indulging in things that they should not be indulging in. That puts a whole other slant on it, right? We have people, and I'm telling you, and you guys know this, that the enemy's trying to influence within our network to, to, to go and vacillate and, and fluctuate in opinion and who they know they are in the Lord, and they associate with other, other teachings that are not in alignment with the Bible. We have to stand, because as we get closer to the time of the end, these things are going to get worse. The deception is going to get worse, right? Gross darkness, according to what Isaiah prophesied. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. I know that doesn't make sense because it, His light is going to shine upon people like us and people that are functioning in their true identity in the Lord. He, the light's going to be there, but you can't, Say gross darkness is not going to be there. It, it's just going to be a part of it. Now, I'm, I did go back and I read the story about Jezebel, you know, and Elijah. We all know that, okay? It's not just a story. It's not just a narrative. It is something that is a real type of spiritual influence that can really attack even a prophet like Elijah. I mean, when you go back and you read that, you think, Elijah, how in the world could you allow? I mean, she really didn't say much. But what she did say, I mean, threw him into a major, major tailspin. And it just, I mean, it, it was just unbelievable. I thought, Lord, man, help me. Because if, if, if Elijah succumbed to that, I definitely could, you know. I, I really was thinking that. I'm like, fearful but you know what I'm saying trying to be real and honest you know when you get to a point where you think something can't get you then that's when you're going to fall well, that's when I'm going to fall I want to I want to remain humble and I said a minute ago I mean the Lord's making sure that we stay contrite and humble 
based off what we face, when you think about it that way, that's the, the, the things we deal with on a regular basis are meant to keep us contrite and to keep us humble and to keep us coming back to him. It's just a different, different perspective. So I don't like things that are opposing either. I hate it. I don't like feeling like all these blasphemous words that are being released in the spirit realm and feeling the effects of it and headaches and, and confusion and uh, major um, anxieties of stuff. I'm just not that type of a person. So I know, when I know this stuff starts happening, it's, it's something indicative of where uh, the new territory that we're invading in the spirit realm and we're occupying. We just, just got to break through it. Evangelistically, that's always going to happen. As an intercessor, when you're faced with, a, with an atmosphere that's opposing like that, just keep praying. Just keep interceding because eventually God's spirit will just cause us to break through. And when you break through on the other side, man, it's all going to fall in place. And you feel that release and you feel that tremendous amount of freedom and peace that comes after the battle. Um. So here, let's, let's keep reading. So the Son of God is saying, I'm recognizing that there are individuals that are functioning and being allowed to function in an ecclesia environment. And I know they're seducing my servants. So I, another thing that really hit me was God really does know what's going on in some of these camps. And I think people need to really step back that have giftings that are just really, they're of the Lord, but really need to step back and filter everything that they do. Every one of us, have, we, we, got, we have to do this. I mean, don't you know the enemy would love to have Sandra Carter or Les or any of us? And he'll, he, he could try to do that if we're not careful, but as long as we stay connected to the Spirit of God, His Spirit. We're going to be overcomers. There's a lot to that, though. <laughs> if I had it my way, I'd be in overcoming mode all the time. Where, where every, I, I'd be in peace mode all the time, right? You would, too. I mean, you, nobody likes a, a mountain in front of you, right? It's like, get out of my way. You know, I can't see. Nobody likes to have to partner declaratively and use your voice to speak grace, grace into that mountain. I mean, that's, a, that's not very pleasant, but the outcome is going to be worth it. And verse 21, it's also about idolatry. Um, there is idolatry in the ecclesia. I think everybody in this room would agree to that. And I'm not just talking about something that's physical here, like a, a carved-out image of a Buddha or something. Idolatry takes on many different forms, and, and the one that I feel the, the most um, focused on is the teaching, the idolaters', idolaters teaching, and things that people are saying is of the Lord, and it's not of the Lord because it violates Scripture. 
verse 21, and he says, And I gave her a space to repent, metanoia, of her fornication, and she decided she wasn't going to repent. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Megas pressures is what that is. Except they repent, metanoia, of their deeds. You see, God's always, he's always given people an out. He's not sending people to hell. He's not doing this. He never, he never created anyone to go to that place except who? The devil and those that he convinced to follow along with him. God doesn't want people going to hell. People choose that pathway. And he's given, I believe we're going to be the voice that's going to rise up and say, you know what, we can't let that in here. We can't let this teaching come into our network. We can't allow certain things to happen. And, and, and I believe also there's going to be times where we may have to speak to individuals directly and say, you know what, brother? You know, you're, you're teaching this thing here, but that's not an alignment. And not do it in a haughty way. I'm just saying just conversational way. And say, you know what, you need, really need to look back at the Scripture on this thing. And they're, they're going to be given opportunities to think differently and, and metanoia. And, and they have a choice. So that, this is going to come back into play. It already is in play. But it's going to increase as, our, as the net, God grows the network. And as His expansion begins to take root all throughout the earth, we need to be aware of these things. And I think a lot of our intercession is going to deal with some of it, but not all of it. We're going to have to have some face-to-face -face type things where this, and, and, and we're going to make sure that that's a ministry that maybe Nancy can do, or you know, somebody's got to be very, very gentle, and uh, Nancy could definitely do that, but... Uh, it's got to be done out of a heart of agape. Everything we do stems from that. In verse 23, and I'm not going to dwell on this at all. Uh, and I will kill her children with death. And all the ecclesia shall know that I am he that searches the reins and the hearts. And the word for search there is, is he's the one that is going to make the inquiry internally, and it's an investigative term of, of being able to know the reins and know the hearts. That's his job. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Now, verse 24. He starts to transition, and he says, But unto you I say, and unto the rest of you, the, the remaining ones in Thyatira. So he's addressed the ecclesia of Thyatira. Now he's coming to another group of those that are remaining. To me, it's kind of like a remnant here. The, the, the rest here is a small group of people, and he says, the first thing he says, under the rest of Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine. How about that link there? I had never seen that before, how he's linking that back and saying, but these group have not succumbed to the false instruction and teaching and have not known the depths or the bathos of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. 
and pastor spoken on this recently, but that which you have already hold fast, krateo, uh, the power from the throne, till I come. And he that overcomes, there it is, and keeps, terios my works unto the end, to him will I give exousia over the nations, and they shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I have received of my father. And I will give them the morning star. He that has, a, has an ear, let him hear what the pneuma, the breath of God, is saying to his ecclesias. There's, there's a lot in this, in this passage. We need to be those, those remaining ones that are not accepting doctrine of this sort, instruction that is not in alignment with the Scripture. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but we're obviously facing this now. And as we grow numerically, how would the enemy try to make this thing implode? Or how is he going to try to strategize to stop it? This is one of the ways. And I think it's very, it's placed in the book of Revelation for us to recognize it's something that's going to be going on during the end times, during the last days. And the Son of God is focused on it, and he says, I know that, there, that this is going on, and he's telling us, have nothing to do with it. The instruction, that's what I'm saying, it. We love people. We want, we want these same people to actually recognize and come to a point of metanoia where they, where they repent and they think differently and they go, you know what, I'm so grateful and thankful that you, you mentioned this. I, I, I didn't realize the error of my way. And so that brings me to, let's see if we go to 815, right? Okay. Well, let's keep going. And I don't think I've even, I'm going to reference this chapter. You will be blown away as you read it. Ezekiel 13, go back and read it. It speaks of a word being given to Ezekiel about prophesying against the prophets of Israel that prophesy. I know that's three Ps. Didn't do that intentionally. Ezekiel 13. He got a word from the Lord, and he said, You prophesy against, and at that point, there was corruption. So the enemy's all about corruption. He's all about trying to deceive people. Anytime we, we feel deception in any way, we don't need to stray. That kind of sounds like a lyric in a song, right? It's, it's really, but it's different, man. I'm telling you, it's, it's different. Let, let's, let's go back and revisit or look at King Saul just for a minute. And this just shows you, I mean, God is so different than us. I mean, he doesn't give us what we deserve, and I am so grateful. You know, when's the last time you tried to be a king at 12 years old or rule, rule of people? I mean, this was a hard job for a kid. Um, you know what it's like when you wrestle against a principality. You know what it's like when you wrestle against a power, right? A demonic power. That's, that's, that's up front, in your face, close, count, close encounter. 
And these demonic spirits will try to rub off on you. I mean, and that's why it's so important for us to just keep interceding. I'm, I'm not trying to belabor this. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 2. Peter writes, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there will also be false teachers. And those two terms there, the first one is comprised of two Greek terms, pseudo and prophetes, and then pseudo didaskalos. And I focused on the teacher part because that's really the main point of tonight's message. And and what that word, if you look at it and all its derivatives, it's, it speaks of someone that's speaking of things that are un, untrue, they're deceptive, or another way of saying it is their teaching instruction is not aligned with the truth. That's what it means. And when you're reading something or you're hearing something or you're praying and you hear a voice say something or any. In any of those contexts, if it is not in alignment with the word of the Lord and, and we, what we know is that God's revealed as the truth, the aletheia is any God's uncovering things. And some people, I don't know, when we talk about truth, every time I say this, not just now, it's just no matter where I'm at, truth came up today at a work site, and people have all kinds of ideas of what truth really is. Uh, people will say, uh, I know the truth will set you free. Okay, well, what truth are you talking about that's bringing the freedom? That's one thing that I think about. But, and no, but for me, when it, I remember when Pastor first started teaching about it, any of, the, any of the new things, your mind was challenged to try to grasp it. There was a challenge in your mind. Just be real. All of you say yes. <laughs> when you heard pneumatikos, you were like, hudikos? Um, so, and that's okay. Over time, and I know this to be true, there are dispensations of his breath that he gives to a person to get that and to have that understanding. And, and that person, they're, they're, they're at a heightened level because God's, it's the time for that, plus it's what he's, what he's revealing. And they'll study it out. It's kind of like this in some ways, like the insight with Manasseh and the mom and the dad. Some of these things I've read before, but I hadn't really put one plus one together because it makes sense because of where we are as a people, right? And, okay. I just lost all train of thought. Just, just it just gone. Um, truth. See, that's what we're talking about. Truth. Um, teaching. At every point along our this whole pathway, twenty years ago. It has been a pathway of the uncovering of truth. That's what I'm trying to say. From divers' tongues all the way up to where we're at now. And it, again, it's God's been uncovering truth to you too, though. 
It ain't, it's not just pastor. It's not just me. It's not just you. It's not everybody in here. What's he uncovering at this time frame for you? We need to be thinking that way. Don't just, well, I'll come and pastor will uncover a, a truth I've never seen. Yes, he will. That's, that's what God's de- predestined him to do. But you're uncovering something, too. And God wants you to know it's, it's been hidden, but now's the time. It's simple when you really, I say it's simple. It was very hard. It used to be hard, really hard. But that's the truth. And it's always going to align with the Scripture. Always. If it doesn't align, it's not the truth. And why am, I, why, am I, why am I hammering this? It'll only take you one time to do a search on Facebook and in, in groups or YouTube. And you click on a video or you watch something and you will see and hear things that are just, you're like, what in the world? Give you one example. This video got... Five, over 500,000 views on YouTube. This guy is talking about speaking in tongues. He says there are no scriptures in the New Testament that indicate anybody ever practiced speaking in tongues. And I, my, my spirit just, I said, what? I mean, I almost came unglued. I jumped out of the chair, and I was, I was like, trying to go after the dude he's on the screen (laughs) and I'm like you have got where are you getting that so I started reading some of the comments down uh, in the YouTube video just to see what other people were gonna say one person said brother you're you're one of the first one that that really has the truth on this so you got that deception and then you got another one that said this he quoted 1 Corinthians 14 talked about he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks to God. There was truth. That was a truth bomb in the midst of all that deception. And I went, and there were some replies to that. So I clicked on it. I started reading through it, and he was this other guy was trying to explain it all away. And um, it's just, so that's, that's kind of the things I'm talking about. That's very simple. Unknown tongues, 500K views. This dude has a massive following on YouTube. We need to know the truth because there are lies all around us. And we have the truth in us. And we need to release it when the Lord says, release it. And I know we will. I know every one of you have that in you. It's kind of scary, though. The human side wants to kind of rise up and go, well, Lord, you know, I don't know about this, you know. I'm here at work, you know. I don't want to say that to that person. I mean, we can analyze it, but if the Lord, if you feel directed to release a truth bomb from his heart, you better know it's got an intent, and it's going to light, and it's going to take root, and it's going to grow. We've got to think about it like that. I am so... I'm like Kelly, I am fed up with the enemy. I am sick. I hate the enemy, and I know that's a, that's a mutual feeling. But God is going to make sure that his purpose is done in the earth with us or without us. 
And I say that because he can raise up another intercessor. If we get tired, we don't want to do it, we want to bail, we want to go, okay, let's tell him to sit down just for a little while longer and not do this anymore. We've been doing it 20 years. We all get there, get out from under the juniper tree, let's go. You know, get out of the cave. What are you doing here? Get out of the cave. Move on. And we, we tend to forget what God's put inside us. That's some of the things I believe why God had pastor focus on the pneuma within. God within us, his spirit. There's, there's, there's a lot there. I mean, there's things that are going to come into alignment in the next few weeks in you and in me. And we need to recognize it. We are on an incredible journey, a discovery. And I'm closing with this. I'm going to say this. We all know that Satan desires to deceive the whole world, right? That's his ultimate desire, according to Revelation 12, 7. That's his calling. Look here. I'd never seen this before. Verse 9, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called, kaleod, the devil, and Satan. His calling is all about demonic stuff, satanic things, deception. It's just who he is. That was not his original calling. And he's out to go after the entire world. But we're going to end with this prophetic word. In Isaiah 29, when I was reading through this again, I felt this was a, a prophetic word. This is not a doom and gloom message. It's not. It really is not. We are not being seduced. God is preparing us to speak on his behalf against these types of influences. That's, that's one of the main things of this. But Isaiah 29, 24 says this. And, Lord, I just speak this forth that, it, it's, it's going to be done. And they also that have erred, or ta'ad, in Ruach, in the, in, in the things of, of his spirit, are going to come to a point of understanding. And they that murmur, which means those that, are going to, that have grumbled or have been in a point of rebellion, are going to begin to learn doctrine, which is meaning being able to receive instruction. That, I believe, is a prophetic release for people that God is going to direct us to, that once were straying in the Ruach of, of, of His Spirit and kind of had gotten, um, they're, they're fluctuating back and forth, they're dabbling over here, and then they're dabbling over here, and they got a demon over here, and then they've got God here, and I believe they're going to come to understanding, and I believe also those that have murmured or rebelled against what God's doing are going to come back and say, you know what, I'm ready to receive true instruction. That's great. That's great. So, Lord, we love you so much. And, and I know this people in this room and, and people throughout the network love you so much. Help us as we move forward together as a mighty army in your breath. Give us courage to stand 
when everybody else is welcoming in things that are not of your spirit. And I speak that those that are that are even now that maybe you're drawing them in now that have somehow um, gotten out of kilter with you in, in the spirit and you're, you're drawing them in and we just declare that they will understand and we declare that those that were once rebelled will come and say that they're ready to receive your true instruction. We love you and we praise you and we ask you all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless everybody. We will see you for Saturday prayer.